take your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. And I'm preaching this morning a a sermon entitled uh, simply here, Paul's Crown of Rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I'm always blessed to be back and and take a a peek again at some of the roots uh, in my life and the history in my life. Uh, right about here is where I stood, except I was faced the other way when I got married uh, 42 years ago, and uh, it was in this room. It was an auditorium at that time, and uh, there was no rest of the building, okay? And what a blessing that was. Uh, I was baptized and uh, saved in this ministry. Uh, the baptistry was back here, and uh, so uh, this building means a lot to me. Ma- major decisions were made here uh, in the room that you're sitting and now we are looking at four decades down the line, and we're recognizing that uh, uh, really what God was doing way back then was just the start. I mean, just scratching the surface as to what God was going to do in this place, and we are rejoicing. The Apostle Paul was filled with joy when he wrote this letter to the Thessalonian church. Matter of fact, he mentions his joy in verse 19 of chapter 2, as well as chapter 3, verse 9. I want to begin with 1 Thessalonians 3, 9, where the Bible says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. He mentions that thought of being filled with joy. And the joy he had was for the people of that young church uh, that was founded back in Acts chapter number 17 uh, on that important missionary journey where Paul is launching out with Silas and they gather together Timothy and later Luke and uh, they are led by the Holy Spirit of God to a region of the world that we know as Macedonia. And there in Macedonia, the very first opportunity they had was to go to the city of Philippi. And they saw some great victories in the salvation of Lydia and her household. And what a blessing that is to read that in the text in Acts 16. As well as chapter number uh, 16, you find the jailer and his household. Aren't you glad that salvation is a household affair? And uh, that God wants to use that first one that gets saved to impact others in the family so that they would come to Christ as well. And I'm sure as Paul looked back at the church at Uh, Philippi, he had great joy in what God did there in establishing the church and seeing those come to faith, as he did in chapter 17 when they went to that city of Thessalonica. And as Paul looks back, Paul is looking back to uh, a time where God used that team that was launched out of the church at Antioch uh, to just start sharing the gospel in that needy city. And what a blessing to see person after person come to faith. And 1 Thessalonians is honestly just a testimony of how God works in every local church if we'll let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And can I tell you something? There's joy in it. There's joy when a baby is born. One week ago, number 13 of Ermler grandbabies came into this world. And uh, that's joyful. Uh, There's great joy in in that reality. Uh, There are three more that are on the way between now and June. And uh, so, you know, once you start this multiplication process, it really gets 
out of control after a while. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It, it's almost more fun than having the kids originally, you know, the grandkids. And, uh, and they are a blessing and a joy. And Paul is reminiscing about this church with great joy. I, I think about the letters to the church at Corinth. And I'm thinking there's not quite as much joy as he's having to discipline the church and help the church with errors and sin that had crept into the church. And young people, I just want you to know you are a great source of joy to your parents and to the leadership here as you walk with God. A great source of joy. Uh, There in the third epistle of John, I have no greater joy uh, in all the world than, than to know that my children are walking in truth. And um, I have had an experience this year that has taken me to the depths of despair uh, with one of my own children. And um, uh, I'm going to be honest with you and try to be transparent with you, but I want to press upon your heart how devastating it is when you take Christ off the throne of your life and you put yourself on the throne of your life, the mess that you'll make of your family and your life and your ministry and the heartache that you're going to bring to those that love you so, so much, so very much. Um, I was telling your pastor over lunch the other day that, you know, not only uh, have I had that heartbreak in my own family with one of my own children, but also in a church that we had seen planted a long time ago. I don't want to be down here this morning, but I just need to share this as a as, as a start, because I need you to understand that there is joy in ministry and there's joy in serving Jesus, regardless of the situations and circumstances of life. And there's always something that we can look to uh, if we are doing His business that will bring joy and satisfaction uh, to our heart and our life. Uh, the Bibles that I hold, I, I study and I read and I pass them along. Uh, to, to my children in time, and uh, this particular Bible is to that one child um, that, uh, that went uh, away where he, he became God in his life and did not let God be God in his life. And I'm going to read you what I wrote in, in this Bible uh, 15, 17 years ago. As I begin this year, my heart is full of joy and blessing. You will be in my prayers as we seek God's will for your life. I love you so much and thank God for allowing you to be the first Ermler child born into our home. I'm so proud of you and I look forward to seeing what the Lord will do with you and your sweet wife. May you always bring glory to the Lord and honor to the Ermler name with all my love, Dad. Um, It's a heartache. That prayer right now is not fulfilled or that desire right now in my heart is not fulfilled because uh, of sin that got into a heart and that devastated an entire family. Now, how does this relate to a church plant? Well, as I mentioned, the church that we started back in Fresno, California, I'm going to be real blunt with you, I have not attended for 10 years. It was going a different direction. I would not be able to preach in that ministry because it went in a different direction. When they were going through their heartache and heartbreak, they didn't reach out to the men that I felt like they should be reaching out to. They were reaching out to evangelicals and individuals of that nature. 
And, and in a certain point, I could be absolutely crushed that the life that was poured into that ministry to see it started, uh, literally, and from my perspective, has died. It has died. But the good news is that while we were there, God allowed that local church to reproduce itself time and time and time and time again. And, and all those churches are going for God. And all those churches are faithful. And they're reproducing other churches of like kind. And there is joy in my heart as I look back, not at that initial church, but at the other churches that we invested in. Time, talent, treasure, our people for the glory of God. And now uh, we can, I mean with joy, honestly with joy in our hearts, realize that God's plan for the family, God's plan for the church is that we would multiply and we would walk in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit and that God would use us as only God can as we stay surrendered to Him. My challenge this morning, young people, is that you just stay right with God. You keep your heart in tune with God. You walk with God. You, you treasure the investment that's being made in your life. You treasure it. Because you have a, a faculty, a staff, a pastor here that uh, love you dearly. And uh, they have seen enough heartbreaks in, uh, in ministry and just in, in people in their congregation, in this congregation and others, uh, that uh, have through willfulness, willful sin, uh, walked out of the will of God and uh, are now uh, living in a place that I am sure uh, they're experiencing great heartache and heartbreak and uh, remorse. But when it comes to this church, let me share with you uh, Paul's crown of rejoicing. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. You know, there's many messages out on this crown and the other crowns that are mentioned in Scripture. But this particular crown, this crown of rejoicing, some have called it really the soul winner's crown. I'm looking at it from Paul's perspective he didn't lead every person to Christ here in this church. He had a team that came with him to this community, and all of them were involved in evangelism and getting out the gospel. What Paul is referring to is this wonderful mystery of the local church in a local city, and uh, uh, it, it amazes him that God would allow him to be part of this marvelous, miraculous uh, undertaking of birthing a church. And to Paul, every congregation was his crown. Uh, we mentioned the church at Philippi. And uh, if you uh, go back to Philippians chapter number four, he's going to use the same terminology concerning that church. So this is just not a one time where he mentions this crown uh, that is his crown of rejoicing. He says in verse number one of chapter four, therefore, my brethren, beloved, dearly, are, are dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. So for every local church that the apostle Paul had a privilege of being a part of, he considered that his crown. 
I wonder if he had in his mind here the reality of that day when we are at the throne of God. And there, as Revelation 4 teaches us, there's the privilege of tossing these crowns there to the feet of our Master, our Savior, our Lord, our King. And can you imagine here for the Apostle Paul what joy that is when this crown representing these believers that have been raptured up in chapter number 4, he's able to present before the throne of God. He said, you're my crown. You're my crown of rejoicing. He said that to the church at Philippi. You're my crown. You're my joy. And I want you to know that Boy, for every young man here in the ministry that God may lead you to one day, whether you stay in that particular ministry for decades serving God, you ought to hunger and thirst for some crowns that can be tossed at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. You ought to pray and hunger and thirst for the reality that these crowns that uh, are given as there is an emphasis of evangelism in an area and people coming to know Christ all the privilege to be able to uh, take these people that are saved and now present them to the Savior as, as your absolute joy. Back in Revelation, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, let me just quickly go through some of the high points of Paul's letter to this church. And I think it will help us here to understand what God can do with any one of us and some of the important ingredients in seeing something started uh, for the glory of God in whatever region God sends us to. I've been teaching our, our young men that, you know, God's call is not to a city. In the Bible, God's call is to a region. Uh, Macedonia is not a city. The Macedonian call was to a region. The church at Thessalonica, we're going to find here in chapter number 1, sought not to reach a city. They sought to reach a region where the Bible says that from you sounded out the word of the Lord to Macedonia. The heartbeat was the region. That was where the Holy Spirit was guiding. Paul wanted to go to Asia, a region, and God said, no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I've got something else for you. Uh, Paul wanted to go to some other regions as, let's just call it a, a launching pad for other ministries. And so here in chapter number 1, I want to highlight uh, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus, Paul and Silas and Timothy out of the church of the Thessalonians, which is of God in uh, the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope. Let me begin. Point number one is just the miracle of a church. You know, a little baby being born is a miracle. The miracle of life. But a, a new church that's being born is a miracle as well. Some of you ladies may have the opportunity to work side by side with your husband and seeing a brand new church birth. Can I tell you, that's, that's New Testament Christianity. I mean, think about it. Before the church of Jerusalem, there were no other churches, and every one of them had to be planted. And here we realize that there's a whole world that needs the gospel. And so that means the whole world needs churches. And that means what I'm talking about here this morning could affect you and your family. Uh, whether you are planted in the church and, and uh, a pastor, uh, you still have this wonderful privilege of planting churches out of that church 
and that joy would be a continual joy throughout your life and ministry. I can tell a sad story about a pastor that came our way in Fresno. And uh, he had one church that he'd poured his life in, and he was there in Fresno in retirement. And most of the time when I got to talk to him, he spoke not of the joy of ministry, but how upset he was that that church had gone a different direction. And his whole life was tied up in one, one, one ministry. And when that ministry went the wrong direction, he's heartbroken because he saw his whole life as a failure. He saw that everything he did was wrapped up in that one local church. Oh, if somebody along the line would have helped him understand that churches reproduce churches, pastors reproduce other pastors, believers reproduce believers. God is in the reproduction business, and he's wanting us all to be a part. So there's the miracle of this birth that Paul alludes to here as he's writing this letter, and, 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 and it is a work of God, and we marvel at it. He also mentions the motives that this church has in verse number 3 as being Bible motives. Now, this is not original with me. Um, uh, G. Campbell Morgan wrote a little book on the seven letters to the churches, and he got to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter number 2. And, and just turn there with me just real quickly. In Revelation chapter number 2, he's... Uh, chastising that church a little bit for a, a loss of passion for the work of the Lord. And, and you know the story. Verse number 2 of uh, Revelation 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And we'll just kind of keep those three words in our mind for just a second. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. So here you have a church that is disciplined. They are working church, laboring church, patient church, and they're doctrinally pure. It's wonderful testimony uh, of this church. And yet the Bible says in verse 3, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Boy, they're not only at the work of God, they're abounding in the work of the Lord. And yet the Bible says something happened in this local church. Verse 4, now I want you to recognize that this is about three decades difference between the church at Ephesus here in uh, Revelation 2 and the church we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians. So this church has been around the block. It's, it's had a few decades of history. And the Bible simply says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and I will remove the candlestick out of his place. We see here from this passage that what they were missing was their passionate first love for the Savior. And, and you can be a church and, and as far as the world's concerned, you're busy, you're working, you're laboring, you're doing all these great things and you're doctrinally right and yet you lost the heart. You lost that first love. Remember when you got saved? Remember the love that you had? Why? Because he loved you so very much. And, and this church, somehow along the line, the Holy Spirit just says you, you lost it. I, I take that back. It doesn't say you lost it at all, does it? It says you left it. There's a difference between the two. One, it's just I'm living life, and man, I just lost my keys. What I do with them? Our guys have experienced that all week long. All right, in my class. Where are my glasses? You know, where are my glasses? Uh, they experienced that. 
may recognize here that, uh, you know, we can lose things. But the Bible says, no, you didn't lose it. You left it. It's like you know exactly where the keys are. You just, you just walked away from them. And uh, in our life, that happens where we get cold and indifferent and, and uh, our motives are not right. Now, let's go back to the text and let me share with you where those motives are found. Verse 3. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. Remember in Revelation 2, they had work, right? But they didn't have work of, what is it? Faith. What a difference. Just serving God because it's right to serve God and, and your work being filled with faith. They had labor, the Bible says in that verse, verse 2, but they didn't have what? A labor of love. What a difference that makes. The Bible says they had patience, but they didn't have the patience that was grounded in hope. A confident expectation that God's going to show up. Yeah. So the motives are important. And Paul was saying, listen, you still got the biblical right motives as you're serving the Lord there in that local place. So we got the miracle of the church. We've got the biblical mo uh, motives. And then we have the modeling of Bible Christianity. And I absolutely love this because the Bible goes on and tells us, verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. What Paul is saying is we model Bible Christianity for you. The, the team did. Greetings from who? Silas. Greeting here from, from Paul. Greetings from Timotheus. All of us, as we were there, we were modeling Bible Christianity. And that is so critical for us to understand that uh, all of these young Christians need to see a consist consistency in our life and a modeling uh, in our life that is going to impact their life. And the Bible goes on and says in verse 6, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. Let me just share with you in the next chapter, and we're going to come back here, but chapter 2, basically Paul shares uh, the modeling that took place in that church and, and what they were willing to do in modeling the Christian life. And these are uh, very important verses, but chapter 2, he begins with this, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that it was not in vain, but even after that we had suffered before, he's referring to going to Philippi and going to jail and all of the abuse that uh, he endured there. For even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as ye know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. Let me say, first of all, they modeled godliness. They modeled godliness. Do you see what he says? It's in a negative way, but he's saying here's what we weren't in verse number 3. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile. Deceit, the error that leads to wandering or straying into error. Uncleanness is moral impurity. Guile, translated subtly, deceptive. And, and let me tell you, when Paul went in, in a negative way, he said, you did not see this in our team. 
You did not see deception or dirtiness or duplicity. You didn't see it. You didn't see it. What you saw was just Christians living the Christian life. And so we became models, okay, to you. And that's, that's a part of church planting. It's a part of Christian living to model out godliness. But they, they were genuine. Uh, there in verse 4 uh, and 5, uh, notice what the Bible says. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God with try, with, which trieth our hearts, for neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So they were just genuine. They were authentic. They were what they were. They spoke the truth. Neither at any time were, were they interested in, in flattering with words or, or using a cloak of covetousness. God's our witness. So they modeled godliness. They modeled what it was to be a genuine believer. Uh, they modeled the philosophy of God gets glory in and through our life. Look at verse 6. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you. Oh, Paul was the one that instructed the church after church, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, that we should be to the praise of His glory to the church at Ephesus. Listen, it is all about the glory of God. We know that when it comes to our, our, our physical bodies. Uh, don't, don't you know? We're, we're, we are the temple of God. And, uh, and, and God is saying that we glorify God or we're to glorify God with our bodies. We're, we're glorifying God when we're bearing fruit, John 15. I mean, every aspect of our life is, is God's glory. Read again John chapter 17 on the high priestly prayer. It's all about Jesus being restored to the former glory that he had with the Father. And oh, we... Uh, we rejoice in the reality that Paul could, could say, this is what we modeled. We modeled a life that was lived for the glory of God. We were genuine. We walked godly. And then here's an important one for every would-be pastor, verse 7, but we were gentle among you. Gentleness. Boy, there's a, there's a kind of attitude sometimes among young people preachers when they see that this pulpit is nothing more than an opportunity to rip someone's face off. And they'll use that expression. Got a rip face. Really? My Bible says there was no face ripping going on. There was a gentleness going on. These are babies. And no, they don't know all that you know. And they might know hardly anything close to what you know. But this is how they handled these young believers, we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherished her children. This little baby that uh, has been born into our family, Brielle, she has a, a problem with her tongue and she's not able to nurse correctly right now. She's lost 14 ounces since she's been born. Mama's, you know, rightfully concerned and dad's concerned and my wife is there right now and she's concerned and they're actually trying to get a, an appointment with a doctor to have that fixed. Uh, right now so that she can properly use her tongue uh, to nurse and to get that nourishment. And here, here the Bible says, hey, these, these, th this, is, this is as a nurse that is, is going to cherish her children. And that's the attitude that we've got to have. 
my daughter right now just wants to be a mom and wants to provide the food that that baby needs. And uh, boy, she's, she's, she's not going to yell at this baby like, you dummy, don't you know how to nurse? No, she's going to be gentle and what a mother is. And God says, you know, when it comes to church planning, we, we need some gentleness. We need some people that are, are willing to, to, yes, live godly and be genuine and live for God's glory, but also be gentle. Uh, for 2 Timothy 2.24, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patience. We don't hear a lot about gentleness in the ministry. And yet in church planning, it's critical. It's critical. Uh, we're dealing with the lives of people that need to be mentored. And to be mentored, they have to have uh, a model, a, a consistent model. All right? Uh, notice also in verse number 8 in chapter number 2. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because we were, ye were dear unto us. And I just said they model gracious affection. People need to hear that they're loved. And, and Paul says, man, I just didn't love you, so being affectionately desirous of you. He said, man, I was willing to impart unto you not just the gospel, but our own souls. You're that precious. Why? He used that word dear again, because you were dear unto us. Listen, ministry is people work. That's what it is. It's all ministry is. It's people work. We're dealing with people. Uh, we're, we're, we're God's servants. God's hands. And God wants to use us if we'll be usable. And uh, thank the Lord here for the modeling of gracious affection. Also, he modeled the going with the gospel. Uh, we see it here in verse number 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. He mentions the gospel several, several times. Back in verse 5, chapter 1, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Uh, chapter 2, verse 2, We were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God. Chapter 2, verse 4, But as... We were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. And so throughout this, we see that they were modeling the sharing of the gospel. Listen, what a, what a wonderful, wonderful lesson for us from the word of God that in church planting, what's absolutely necessary are godly individuals that are a part of that church planting team that will become the model that these baby Christians need so that they can grow to full maturity. And then he also mentioned he modeled generosity in verse number 9. For we remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. He modeled generosity. He modeled what it meant to come into a place and not ask anything but only give. And, and so he was willing to, uh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a, a tent maker if that's what it takes. But I want you to know that I'm not here 
to receive. I'm here to give. And that spirit of generosity is flourishing here in this church at Thessalonica. Uh, Why? Because of the proper uh, modeling of what it means to be a Christian. I guess the number one uh, heartbeat that I'm wanting to share here this morning is that, you know, God just needs all of us to model uh, for Christians all around us that which would be pleasing to God, that, that God would want to reproduce uh, for His glory. And then one more area of modeling, just godliness from a positive perspective. The first time we saw it from a negative perspective, this is not what we are. And now in verse number 10, he's telling us what, uh, what he was. Ye are witnesses and God also how holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believed. Piously, justly or righteously, blamelessly. All right, and so we have the modeling ministry. Now go back to chapter 1 and let me wrap it up sharing with you why it's so exciting. All right, so verse 5 talks about the end of the verse, the manner of men we were among you for your sake. So that's the modeling aspect. That's the aspect where we are coming into a foreign field or we are coming into that community and we're going to model the genuine Christian life and and living for God's glory and and seeking to walk godly and being gentle and going with the gospel and uh, having a generous spirit. Uh, These are all those elements inside the life of of Christians here that, that can be looked at and emulated by these that are springing up in this local church. And then the Bible says, because of the manners of these men, look at what happened in verse 6, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Listen, Paul's joy is colliding with their joy because they're responding to the modeling by becoming mimics. And, and literally the Greek word there, for ye became followers, mimetes, is that word of where we get our word mimic. They just mimicked what they saw modeled. And, and as they mimicked what they saw modeled, Paul and the team could go on to the next place and they would now in turn become the model. And that happened in region after region and city after city. The miracle of church planning took place. The message of the gospel went forth. The modeling of Bible Christianity took place. And those that were uh, transformed by the power of God, they began to mimic what they had seen in their own life. They became followers of us and of the Lord. Regardless of the affliction that came their way or the persecution They were able to ride it out with joy because they had seen the joy in the life of those that came to them that had been persecuted. And they recognized here that now it's our responsibility to be the model so that others can mimic and that God's work can continue throughout the region. And so we have this uh, mimicking that's going on, but just not mimicking for the Bible goes on and tells us here, for ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were, and the Bible word there is in samples. And, and we get from that uh, a pattern. They became the, pa- they, they're the, they're the pattern, they're the standard. 
Um, they describe it as in that time if you took a block of wood and you carved around it and you wanted to make a, a, a stamp of some type or, or maybe some jewelry and you, it, you'd make a form. Uh, that is now what is happening in the lives of these young believers. First of all, yes, you, you, do, you do have in the life of Paul and the team this modeling of all of these areas that are mentioned in chapter number two. And then the young believers are mimicking what's been modeled before them, and now they are the standard, so they become the model. They become the pattern. And that's something that is now lived out over and over and over again. And part of that modeling, we're going to see beyond being examples, verse 7, so that you were in samples to all that believe in in Macedonia and Achaia. And now the Apostle Paul is just going to I mean, he's going to really let them know uh, what a, a fabulous young church uh, this is by, by their seriousness concerning wanting to uh, mimic all the things that the Apostle Paul shared and, and, and the desire that they had to also now go forth with the Word of God. Verse 8 says, from you sounded out. And uh, we get uh, that phrase here. Uh, for echoing out the word of God. Not only in Macedonia, again, that's not a city, it's a region. So this city church is reaching to the region of Macedonia and they go beyond their region to Achaia. But also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which hath delivered us from the wrath to come. Oh, we see that this group of believers determined that they were also uh, going to uh, be used of the Lord uh, to get the message of the gospel uh, to the world. And that's why Paul could have that great joy in his heart because he was leaving behind a body of believers that had come together as a miracle of the work of God, that had determined in their young life that they're going to have Bible motives for what they do. They're they're not just going to be working and laboring and, and patience but they're going to add to that. Notice the three elements, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. That's what was missing. That was missing from the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.2. They had it here. And from that motive sprang forth a yearning in their heart to teach us how to live the Christian life. And then they became the standard. They became the ensample that all of the others could see, where they could grow in faith, and this can be multiplied over and over and over again. Let's determine while we're here that we want to grow to be that in sample. We, we want to become the model. Your, 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 your models are all around you, sitting around you, working with you, loving you, helping you. But there's coming a day when you're going to be that model, and God's going to want to use you in a great way whether it's church planning or wherever God, God sends you, oh, that you would have that heart to, I, I, I want to model godliness. I want to, I want to have that spirit of gentleness in my life. I'm, I'm wanting that generosity. All of those 
attributes that the Apostle Paul shared in chapter 2. That's what our heart ought to want to be.